Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us as we're doing a family Bible study in the Gospel of Matthew. And today we're in Matthew chapter 7, titling this episode, The Father's Promise. And I'll tell you, you know, this is very difficult to find just a sampling in the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, because the whole thing is great. I just felt a leaning that I should emphasize some of these scriptures that in a very major way impacted my life. And just to kind of open this up, we're looking at Matthew 7, where Jesus has that famous call to persistent prayer, ask, seek, and knock, and the, you know it's going to be open to you and such. And we think, oh, this is a nice little thing just to pray every now and then. No, actually, this, this prayer that Jesus is directing us to has such stunning implications that you know, just to use an expression, it would knock you over with the power of response that's capable. I'm going to try to weave together a few themes. Obviously, it's prayer, ask, seek, knock, but the role of the Holy Spirit in all of this, and specifically the Holy Spirit as the promise of the Father. A lot of times when you think of the Holy Spirit, people want to talk about perhaps the Uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit, prophecy, healing, tongues, and this and that. And I have no problem with any of that, but to me, the essence of the Holy Spirit is directing us in a special way to God the Father, the promise of God the Father. And I've mentioned this before, but uh, and I apologize for those who I'm boring to death, but uh, in my life, what changed? and I mean changed 180, was while I was in the Navy. The um, I was going through actually three tries at repentance. By three tries, uh, I didn't have any Christian fellowship. I didn't have any knowledge of Christian theology or knowledge of terms like conversion experience or anything like that. So I went through a period of repentance and list of sins, and uh, nothing really happened, and I expected, well, something should happen here. And so I thought, well, it needs to be more comprehensive. So I did a more comprehensive list of of sins and and very sincerely asked God to forgive me. And um, I had read, I was reading the New Testament and read about this thing called the unforgivable sin, wasn't sure what that was, but I was I thought I might have triggered that one. And so I got real concerned and very desperate. I didn't know what I was going to do because I came to the point in my life that God did exist, God was real, and that I had offended offended him. And so I went through a third round of repentance. And this is just prayer. This is what we're talking about today. Ask, seek, and knock. It was prayer. My prayer was for forgiveness. And I went through a list of literally everything I could think of. And it was a fairly long list. And I'm not going to embarrass myself by telling you what was in that list, except the very last thing. When I got done with my list, God, so to speak, 
added another item to the list. And in fact, that item was the list. That item was the thing that was uh, really the block in my whole life. And that item was um, I had been um, pretty wild, rebellious, stubborn, ungrateful. And of course, my parents got a lot of that, my dad especially. And uh, I asked God's forgiveness for that. But when I did, God just impressed upon me that my attitude towards my father was my very precise attitude towards God himself. And uh, that was a revelation. It wasn't a revelation of glory. It was a revelation of how wicked I was that I had this kind of attitude towards God himself. And at that point, I really broke inside because I I thought to myself, it would be very reasonable to regard myself as unforgivable. And uh, so I went to bed and we had CN anchor detail at probably something like 4.30 or 5 in the morning, we're going out to sea. And uh, even though there are a lot of guys on this ship, uh, within the next two weeks while we're out at sea, my shipmates knew something had changed. I knew something had changed and radically changed. And literally my life has never been the same since. And so that's why I've selected this passage from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, starting in verse 7, where Jesus says, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man of you, if his son asks him for a bread, just a, a hint here, he's comparing now uh, a man, a father of the family, his son asking for a cup of water at night or Cheerios snack, okay? What man of you, what father of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Just to highlight a few things here, we're talking about very persistent prayer, ask, seek, and knock, and we're, but we're talking about a request to the Father. As Christians, we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. We have a right to come to the Father and ask, seek, and knock because of Jesus Christ, and the Father in return gives good things, and that's what we want to talk about here. But before we do that, I'd like to put the situation of our country, kind of like my situation before I said that prayer on the USS Coronado, uh, I would dare say, and I know uh, people don't like to hear this because I love our country just like you do, but the spiritual, moral, and cultural situation in our country, especially with youth, is hopeless. And I mean by hopeless, you don't just 
bounce back from a cultural sewer that we have willfully allowed our whole society to descend into. Um, and, and yet we have false hopes. Uh, one pundit put it, I thought, quite well. If you think the spiritual renewal of America will arrive on Air Force One, you are delusional, and yet people will spend hundreds of hours between now and the next presidential election thinking this is going to determine the whole fate of our nation. I'm not saying politics are unimportant, but to pull us out of the sewer we're in is not going to come with a solution on Air Force One. Or if you think some church committee can create a spiritual renewal to fix things, so long as they have a big budget for some expensive and innovative program, I'm sorry, you're dreaming. Or if you think, oh, if I can just go off and do some in-depth study of some philosopher, that will bring about a spiritual renewal. If you're thinking that, then you're ignoring the fact that reason, reason itself is disappearing from America. Or if you don't think things are hopeless, what about when highly educated physicians along with teacher unions think that cutting off the breasts of young girls is a good thing? If our culture has reached that point, then we've reached that point that was so well described by C.S. Lewis when he called it the abolition of man. Or how about when the First Lady of the United States, along with the Secretary of State of the United States, presents the 2023 International Woman of Courage Award to a man dressed up like a woman? That means we've reached the terminal point. And of chief concern to me, and if you're a parent, this would be a just an incredibly huge concern to you, polls show rather consistently that Christian youth and young adults are rapidly adopting the moral consensus of our darkening culture. They're the ones that seem to be on the edge of interacting with our culture, and they're swallowing it. And the majority of Christian youth raised in the church are abandoning the faith by the time they reach late adolescence or early adulthood. So I then asked the question, what can be done in a hopeless situation like we find ourselves in? Well, I dare say our situation is like a vision given in the Old Testament to the prophet Ezekiel. If you go to Ezekiel chapter 37, it's the grand vision and prophecy about the dry bones. And God shows Ezekiel a vision of, of the people of God in the old covenant. And basically, they're dead. And, and after you died in ancient Israel, you were put on a stone slab until everything rotted off except the bones. And then the bones were gathered together. But in this case, the bones were scattered over this wide valley. And not only, it's obviously the people were dead, but, they said, but the vision says that they were 
very dry. In other words, they were hopelessly lifeless. And then God asks, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And I can just kind of paraphrase Ezekiel, but I can kind of relate. (laughs) He's saying, well, God, I know you're omnipotent, right? And I know you can do anything. I mean, you created all things. You've you've given life to to people. You've redeemed the nation Israel. You can do all things, but um, I'm going to pass the buck on that question, Lord, because that's actually exceeding my capabilities. Only you know. Only you know. But the point of that passage, point of this broadcast, is to not give up hope for renewal. And I'm not talking about the ascendancy of a particular political party or or this and that. I'm talking about people coming into a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ that affects everything they think, do, or say, and their whole outlook on life. The Time Magazine cover in April 1966 said, God is dead. Now, I was a little slow in the uptake, but about a year later, but by 1967, I'm revealing my age, you might say, God is dead in Steve Wood's life. And in many cases, he was. And a lot of my friends and a lot of the culture. And it was got so bad following 66, 67, 68, 69, that it was like, that's the end. That is the end. And uh, shortly after I said that prayer on my ship, as I mentioned in a previous episode, a shipmate came and said, hey, Wood, and he showed me the Time magazine cover in June 1971 because the God that they buried back in April 66 had somehow resurrected of all places in Southern California with the Jesus Revolution. I just recently learned that missiologists have determined that as a result of that Jesus movement, the Jesus freaks, whatever you want to call it, what uh, kind of launched and spread across the country, about 3.5 million youth and young adults came to faith in Christ. Now, they didn't do it in a way we wanted it to happen, according to many ministers, Protestant and Catholic. No, they didn't. It sprung up in a rather out-of-the-box way. But God is God. Can these bones live? I mean, we're at the point, like, only you know, Lord, because I don't know, humanly speaking, how you pull a country like ours out of the pit that we are in, not going into, we've plunged ourselves willfully into. So how do you get out? Well, according to Jesus, it's ask, you'll be given, seek, you will find, and knock, and the door will be opened, and In the original language, this is a present, ongoing sense. So it's like, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. This is just not a a once-and-done command from Jesus. He's teaching us how to pray in the Sermon on the Mount. This is right up there with the Our Father. But keep at it, the persistent prayer. And he told a parable a little, longer, little later in Matthew. 
where he told the parable about that persistent widow that people should always pray and not lose heart. So to keep at it. So what? Now, you're going to think this is the strangest thing in the world, but sorry, I try to draw lines between events. That event that happened in the 1970s with the Jesus Revolution, kind of like what's going on or has gone on recently in Asbury University and spread to other colleges as I speak, I draw a line back to New Year's Eve as the 20th century was beginning, Pope Leo XIII was quite an insightful pope. And due to the urging of a woman writing him about the importance of the Holy Spirit, on New Year's Eve, as the 20th century began, the head of the Catholic Church was not waiting around watching the ball to drop. What he was doing was singing a hymn to the Holy Spirit and ushering in the 20th century, realizing probably a lot more than you and I did or any of our grandparents did, that the 20th century was gonna be an unprecedented, hopeless situation. And he was turning, asking, seeking, and knocking for the Holy Spirit. So persistent prayer. That's, that's what Jesus, asking, seeking, knocking. But what should we ask for? Now, unfortunately, some of the people in our culture, if you turn on the TV, have this thing called name it and claim it. In other words, God is kind of like Santa Claus. You tell him what you want, and he gives it to you. Um, I was uh, interviewed and asked to join a coalition of uh of a church where they had three youth pastors, which is very unusual, but you drove up to the youth meeting, and this is during the countercultural days, so people weren't extolling uh, material prosperity. The lead youth pastor had a shiny, most expensive Cadillac that they sold, and next to him was the assistant youth pastor, and he had a, a nice new Cadillac, but it wasn't the most expensive model of Cadillac, and then the third in line youth, I guess he was the assistant of the assistant youth pastors, he had a used Cadillac all parked in front to show that this is what happens when you ask, seek, and knock. No, that's not it. Okay, it says in Matthew 7, the Father who is in heaven will give good things to those who ask him. And you need to be a little careful because this sounds really good out of context, but the context, if you look at the companion passage where Jesus is teaching the same thing as recorded in the Gospel of Luke, Luke puts a definition, so to speak, on what those good things are. And so remember, Matthew 7 and Luke 11, these two passages go together. And Jesus is recorded as saying, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In other words, the good things the Father gives his children in response to persistent prayer is the Holy Spirit. 
And that's what is such life-giving. If you read the vision of the dry bones in Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel prays to the wind and to the breath and to the spirit. It's the same word in Hebrew. But the key is this valley of dry bones comes to life. The people of God come to life who are just maybe warming a pew come to life as a result of persistent prayer and particularly directed to the Holy Spirit. So let's look at some of these. A little later on in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, and he says in Luke 24, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, mom and dad, again, if you're listening, the goal isn't to get your nice little son and daughter keep attending church uh, after they've been catechized and sent to Catholic schools and everything else. No, that's not the goal. No, the goal is to be an on-fire disciple of Jesus Christ, leading friends in their surrounding culture to Christ. That's the goal. It isn't just to maintain. And so if you're, if you're asking, seeking, and knocking, you're not for a minimal maintenance dose. No. Jesus says, stay around because you're going to be clothed with power from on high to change the world. And then, uh, just in case you missed it, Acts chapter 1. Again, Jesus saying with him before he ascends into heaven, he charged them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, the promise of the Father. He said, you heard from me, John baptized with water, but before many days, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, what Jesus was saying was long promised in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read to you two of those promises, and mom and dad, and priest, and deacon, and youth leader, and scout leader, and school teacher, please listen carefully to the emphasis on youth with these promises of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 3, for I will pour water on thirsty land and streams on dry ground. I will pour out my spirit upon your descendants and my blessing upon your offspring. Without water, you die. Without water, nothing grows. And so Jesus, using the imagery of water, says, I'm going to be pouring out the living water of the Holy Spirit upon your children, your descendants, your offspring. Another great prophecy from the prophet Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Okay, that's for everybody. That includes moms and dads and uncles and aunts and grandparents. But specifically, this prophecy says, I'll pour out my spirit upon your sons and your daughters, and they shall prophesy. They are going to be vocal and visible witnesses to the truth of God. And your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, and he will pour out his spirit. Now, that's the promise in Joel 2. 
And guess what? Our first pope preached in the first sermon on the day of Pentecost, the first sermon ever heard in the Catholic Church. And this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions. Yea, on my men servants and maid servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So what do you do? You ask, and you seek, and you knock, and you direct to the good Father to send his promise upon your life and especially upon your children. That's it. And if you do that, things can change. Here's a chapter from an upcoming book that I have permission from the author to quote. This is Awakening to the Father's Love. A primary reason why so many millions of young Catholics are bored with the church and so casually walk away from the practice of their faith is that they have never been awakened to the overwhelming reality of God's love for them. This awakening isn't a transitory emotional experience. This awakening occurs at a much deeper level than the emotions. It is a work of the Holy Spirit, bringing a deep experiential knowledge of God's love to the core of one's being. Once experienced, it defines a person's view of themselves and reorients everything around this core of knowing deep within that they are personally loved as a child of God Almighty. St. Paul wrote to the Catholics in Galatia, recording Galatians 4 and verse 6, and because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, the core of their being, and you can't just keep it in. You want to exclaim it. This isn't a maintenance dose that God will give. This is the dose that changes a life, a country, and a culture, and a church. And so, what I have been very continually praying, oh God, stir up in your church, in our country, in my family, a spirit of adoption so that renewed in body and mind, we may render you undivided service. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 434 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.